This is a John Michael remix of Britney Spears's Mood Ring. I always know like a John Michael production, a reconstruction. I'm like, is reconstruction well, his you, surname? You, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? And it's like, it's, it's everything is an era, you know, just like Britney's career, everything is an era. So it's like, I can sort of pinpoint like through different aliases who I was working with at the time and what was inspiring me and where, where everything was sort of going. And it's like, I had my own, like you said, you know, each one has its own sort of story. There's usually like a group of remixes that will sound like a certain way and then this will certainly i'm the type of person and i don't know if most producers are like this but my add brain is very much um i can't work on a project for too long i get very distracted easily so it's like i'll have seven projects going at the same time and i'll just sort of bounce around and then i'll figure something out that i really like on one and i'm like oh now i have to go into the other six and bring that into there and it's you know, but there's, it's that, that's that sort of timeline is how it all goes. But yeah, they're all different eras of, of, of production and what I've learned along the way. That was DJ John Michael. And this is the Original Doll Podcast. I am your host, James Rodriguez Horton. For those first time listeners, welcome. For those returners, welcome back. A little bit about the podcast. It is in fact a love letter to all things pop. I've been fortunate enough to be able to talk to different songwriters, producers, and so many more who have worked on projects for the Princess of Pop, Britney Spears. And we're a little bit different than most other podcasts. We are, in fact, a charitable podcast. By that, whenever a guest is on the Original Doll podcast, for every question they answer, an item gets donated to charity. So just by being here... The guests are helping make the world a little bit better for those in need. So thank you so much for today's guest and our future guests. If you want to follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. On Twitter, you can direct message me at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z, or old school, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And we just launched the Patreon page. For those who don't know, Patreon is a monthly subscription-based platform. So depending on the tier, you get different exclusive material. And let's say this, there is a lot of material between myself and DJ John Michael that is too hot for this audio podcast. So head over to patreon.com slash the original doll to see that and hear that. And I want to give a big shout out to Tyler, Jenny, Tommy, Dawn, Ingrid, Luna, all of these people. Thank you so much. Um, and also, I want to give a big shout out to our international listeners. The Original Doll Podcast with James Rodriguez Horton is actually has been charting in over 30 countries just on Apple Podcast alone. So thank you so much for those listeners. For others, listen on podcast at Apple and share it with your friends and other fans of just music. So thank you so much. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. As I present you with the original doll podcast don't you want my iconography don't you want to stay and then follow me don't you want to aim for the stars you see
it's one thing to be an artist and great. It's another thing to be an artist and acknowledge those people that have helped you on that journey. And there are so many people, whether it's the Dennis Pops to Max Martin and those people that have had the this village that helps them. And music is a collaborative effort. And so tell the listeners some of those people that you've, you've, you know, what I would say is like the privilege of working with as somebody early on, you've been, you've been around these huge names. So, well, I, I feel like it all, I mean, all roads <laughs> in my life kind of lead back to Junior Vasquez. And it's like, that was really sort of the turning point. I had been a working DJ since 2000, 2001 ish, but it wasn't really until 2009, I would say, where things kind of took a turn because uh, I had just one of my best friends, Billy, who lived in Brooklyn, in a tiny apartment. And I would go over there and he would be like, you know, I just have an idea for this mashup. You know, let's see if we can just work on something. And I I had done editing work just for myself as like a hobby where I would take all of these really like nine minute mixes and I would learn how to like edit them down to like radio edits, I would call them and make sure that they were like under four minutes. And just as like a hobby, just as something that I like to do, because, you know, sometimes you want half the song, half the dance and out, you don't want the full, you know, fantasy. And I actually think it was in that process that I learned the jump, the foundation of what production would be like for me in the future, because it was learning how things were structured and how, you know, there was going to be uh, a hi-hat that would come in at 16 bars in and then, you know, eight bars in something else would happen. You have a crash, a cymbal crash every four or you have, you know, and it was that sort of, I don't want to say math, but almost in a way where it was like everything you could sort of bank on that something was going to change in these remixes because I was spending so much time listening to them nonstop as a DJ and as a fan that I just learned like, okay, so if I wanted to make a smooth edit, I was going to have to wait for a cymbal crash or I was going to have to wait for like the big shh up to happen and sort of build to something else. And that was kind of where it started. And a lot of it started with like that, the Thunderpuss and the Junior Vasquez, Johnny Vicious and all those guys and Tony Moran and listening to that nonstop. And then in 2009, when I was working on stuff with Billy, Billy Waters, he turned to me one night and was like, you know, I have Junior's email address. And I said, okay. And he's like, we could send this to him. We had done a mashup of uh, a track. Uh, it was the instrumental for Jars of Clay Flood, which was Junior's mix. And then we had the acapella for Christine W. Sweet Mercy Me. And that, what Billy would do is he had a program that would tell you what keys all of the songs were in. And so he would just make like a really big list and would be like, okay, so these instrumentals that we have are in this key and these acapellas are in this key. And then we would just sort of pick and be like, how do we make this work? And then I would sit down at the laptop and I would just start putting things over and I'm like, Oh, this works. This doesn't work. This works. This doesn't. And that was sort of how it began just all starting as mashups. I know we did the Chris W one and the Billy was like, I'm going to send it to junior. What's the worst that could happen. And I was like, he sees our name, hates it, and you know we're banned for life. I don't know. <laughs> but as it turned out, he sent it to him. Junior loved it. I mean, and at this point, you know, I'd been going to see Junior since the early 2000s. So we were always at his parties when there were still a lot of parties happening for him then. And we sent it to him. He replied back that he loved it. We went to go see him at a party, uh, I think at, is it Hudson Terrace? I think in New York City. And he played it that night. It was one of the craziest experiences of my life just to hear that. I'm like, oh my God. And then watching 
a dance floor react to it in real time and just like sort of standing back and say, I guess it's the closest thing I could say to hearing your song on that's the radio. That's what I was just going to say, because that's like an artist yeah. going, and it's usually unexpected. Like you don't, the hope yeah. is always there, but, and, and mm -hmm. I think what shouldn't be lost in this is a DJ, a set, there's only so much time in that real estate. So you want to make sure it's like, you know, oh, yes. all killer, no filler sort of thing. You know, yeah. just keep dropping some. I like that. I'm gonna yeah. run with and that. It's like it's like don't bore us. Get to the chorus, sort of thing. Like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> come yes. on, Roxette. Yes, <laughs> but it, it's one of those things where so if somebody's choosing that, he has a musical ear. Yes, it's got to be a great feeling to know. Like you and I are the same age. Junior Vasquez has always been, and all those 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 producers have always been affiliated with all these women, these recording artists that we've mm -hmm. loved. You know, and so it's like if Madonna gives a stamp of approval or, you know, if this artist, you're like, so you would know about it because it was not some indie artist doing this. It's not some underground. So it's got to yeah. have been a great feeling to know he chose in his real estate of time to put this mm -hmm. up there. So how did. Yeah. So what happened after that? So clearly it went over well. The audience was <laughs> into it. Yes. Because the audience will tell you quickly. Yes. If they like it or, Let me go get another drink. They're going to walk away. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And it's, I mean, it really was like, Billy was the one that believed in me the most. And I really have to give him the credit because he saw that I had an ear for this sort of stuff and how I could put things together and that. And like I said, I think it was in build in working on those radio edits that I learned these things because you're listening to how the vocals are produced and the delay effects that are happening and the echoes and the reverb and how all of these productions are sort of coming together in my mind. And I'm like, well, how do I replicate that? And how do I do this? And Billy was the one that believed that I could really do this. And so he would just throw things at me all the time and be like, let's just do this. Just sit down and see what happens. And then I think the next one was there was a track that Junior was very known for um, called Wave Speech by Pete Lazen Lazenby. I think that's how you say his name. And we took that and did uh, the, a mashup with the vocals for um, Right on Time for uh, Black Box. And so we did that together and we sent that to Junior and he loved that too. And he started playing that. And then it just became an addiction after that because it's like, you know, like anything else, you hear your song on the radio and you start chasing that high. So now it's like, well, what else could we do for Junior? And how do we do this? And let's see how many instrumentals we can get. And then Billy started to sort of grow out the network of like, okay, well, you know, these people, these songs are being played. Other DJs are hearing them. Who wants to hear that? You know, how do we do this for this DJ? And how do we get, you know, the network to be bigger? And Billy was very sort of like the brains behind. I never had a good business sense. I was never really the one that was good at that. Like I, I can show up and do music and stuff, but to know how to contact people or just cold email anybody and be like, do you have the vocals for this? Do you have the instrumental for that? Like I was never going to do that. So Billy took care of all of that. And then it just sort of built up and built up. And then we got to a point, I want to say it had to have been either late 09 or 2010, where um, Junior had asked us to do some production for him for the first time, like actual production. And it was, a, uh, I think the first one was a Whitney Houston remix for I Didn't Know My Own Strength.
the label had also, because that album was coming out, and I think that's 2010, the I Turn To You album, or I Look To You, whatever. I think it is 2009 because I just interviewed a songwriter, Cassia Livingston, who wrote a song mm-hmm. on that album that was that was 2009 because it was after she worked on the circus album but yeah so the label had contacted junior and they wanted him to do a mega mix of whitney houston remixes and also a remix for i didn't know my own strength so first what we ended up doing was the, we worked on the mega mix it never ended up coming out i don't think in any way shape or form and junior had a bunch of people that would do stuff for him, you know, as is most of these DJs. I know we talked about this before, but it's a very small community. And I think that's, that's why I was able to sort of navigate my way through and kind of build myself up to be where I am now is that, you know, once junior started hearing something or playing something, other people started paying attention and it just had that sort of ripple effect. So I had worked on a mix for I Didn't Know My Own Strength with um, Billy Waters and another guy, Joel Dickinson. And Razor and Guido had also done uh, a version of I Didn't Know My Own Strength with one of my best friends, Darren Kawa, who was sort of like Junior's right-hand man for a very, uh, very long time and also his lighting guy and from like the Sound Factory and so on uh, from there. And so, yeah, so we did the... I worked on the Mega Mix and they were like very specific that they wanted it to be like... Uh, greatest love of all, how will I know, the Thunderpuss, it's not right, but it's okay. And I think maybe one other track and we did this, it was like a 13 minute or 14 minute mega mix of like these Whitney remix. It was so fun. I love it. I, I have it somewhere. I have to send it to you. Yeah. I mean, and it, it, it was that I sort of built my name up a little bit being one of like Junior's remix engineers, which then led to uh, someone down in Asbury Park who worked for Shep Pettibone. And Shep Pettibone, so, I mean, who had done all the legendary Janet remixes and also Madonna's Express Yourself in the 90s. Like, that was, I think that was the version that ended up going on the Immaculate Collection with Shep's remix. They did the video to it. It was like, you know, a very big deal when that happened. Somebody that was very close to that club that he owned in Asbury Park um, had reached out to me and was like, hey, you know, what do you think about coming down here to DJ or whatever and this whole thing? And I was like, I mean, for Shep? Yeah, absolutely. Like, (laughs) that's a a, a dream come true. And I ended up getting the gig. And it was, uh, I think at first it was every other week, I think. But then over the time it sort of grew, I was the Friday night regular uh, resident. And I was there every Friday and then one or two Saturdays a month and then tea dances during the summertime. And it for five years, a little bit over five years, I was working for Shep. And then it got to the point I was also for a hairdresser for 15 years and another alternate timeline. And I was cutting Shep's hair and I used to go to his house every other week and like cut his hair. And like he would tell me these stories about Cindy Lauper and Madonna and all this other stuff. And I'm like, this is crazy. And how he has a studio in New York that he never goes to. And I'm like, what's in the studio? Let's go to the studio. I'll pick you up in my car. Like, what do you mean? And just all this craziness. And it's like, I would like, I, I've never gotten a chance to obviously go through his vaults, but what he must have in there, I, I can't even well, fathom. And he's but. one of those people that like, I feel like he, Shep is one of those producers that I'm always shocked because it was like, whether it's Debbie Gibson or Tina Turner or the Thompson twins, mm-hmm. like things like that, where I'm like, wait, what? Like, this is the same, this is the same person. You know, Shep was the one who sort of 
took Junior under his wing in the early years and taught him a lot of stuff and brought him into the studio. And so they knew each other. Like whenever I would go, I don't know if this is shady or not, but whenever I would go, whenever I would see Shep in the early years of me working for him, he would always be like, how's my evil twin sister? Always talking about Junior. <laughs> and it was just, you know, it was just that sort of like Kiki kind of thing. You know, if you look at like the the early stuff that Shep was doing, not early stuff that Shep was doing, but some of the sh- stuff that um, Shep had done during the 90s, you'll see Junior's name in the credits. And it'll be like, even on the back of like Madonna's Rescue Me single, it says Extra Bits by Junior Vasquez. And it's because he would go in like Shep would do the remix and then Junior would go in and do like little edits here and there and like chop things up and whatever. And so it was that sort of like, as I'm looking at my rescue me vinyl, I'm like, I know. <laughs> you get it. But I'm, it's, it's, it's crazy. And there's, there's a few things like that. I believe. I don't think I ever realized that. And it, the funny thing is my vinyl, it's done in chronological order. So like I see, keep it together. I'm like rescue me is right in that section. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's, You're such, it's a right such a queen, such a queen. Some people are like, do you do it alphabetically? I go, no, it's chronological. See, and- Taking a quick break to remind you that uh, the original doll podcast with James Rodriguez Horton is in fact also on Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a subscription-based service, so a lot of the things that are too hot for this podcast we put on there. Also, it's a better way for me to engage with the listeners. We have several different tiers in that, so go ahead and visit patreon.com dash doll. And also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, the.original.doll, or go old school, www.theoriginaldoll.com. And be on the lookout in a couple weeks for conversations with songwriters Casey Livingston, who wrote Scary, Unusual You, Amnesia, Lindy Robbins, who did Unbroken, Heather Bright, who did Trouble For Me, Maya Marie, Body Ache, and many, many more. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast to get access right away. You know, Shep was sort of like the originator. If you go back, like... The reason, like, you know, when you're listening to a remix or even in pop music now these days, and there's that sort of like snare fill that builds like right before a big mm. moment, that build up moment where it's like you hear like the repetitive drum that came because Shep created it. He was the first one to ever do that. So it's like that right there. I didn't know that. Something that is eye-opening, and I discussed in the first season of the Original Doll podcast with producer David Sinospina. We talked about, mm. I said, you know, you must get great royalties on these songs. And he's like, nope. He's like, it's a one-off. They send nope. you a check and go, this is what we want. And that's it. Oh, yeah. Everything was a work for hire. And that's the part I think people don't understand because then it's these these music producers want to produce stuff so quickly because their name is on people's mouths and at the time this was the 80s and 90s where albums were actual events where they were like Mm -hmm. this two years we're spending on touring we're spending doing all that so then ultimately does a producer does junior or shep do they ever get to release the music themselves or is it they would have to buy, like, ultimately get the licensing for their own music because they don't own it. But how do we get, like, a Junior Vasquez, you know, double vinyl or something like that? 
you don't. Um, <laughs> that's that's the short version. So, and I think that's what a lot of those guys had to figure out because I think when it came to, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when it came for, to Shep doing the Express Yourself, because he had sort of pulled it apart and really recreated something else, I think there is a songwriting credit that he has on that specific mix. That was not really heard of at the time. So that, even with Junior, like most of the things, like the big Madonna mixes and stuff were all work for hires. And I think that when they realized that, that's when they sort of were like, oh, we have to be songwriters too. And then you started seeing where it was like, Junior writing songs with Lisa Lisa for her LL77 album or Junior writing songs with Cindy Lauper for her Hatful of Stars album. And so he would have mm -hmm. the actual songwriting credits and then it would kind of go from there. Like, you know, Shep work, uh, working with Madonna to do Vogue. And it's like every time that I would be go see Madonna on tour and she would do Vogue and I'm like, better get that, co collect those coins, Shep. You better get that check. You know, and it's like anytime she would does anything with that song, he gets money for it. Ladies with an attitude. Well, and I remember there was the whole legal matter where he was suing Warner Brothers because he's like, hey, I know that there's royalties coming my way. And that's something where songwriters or producers, I think now we're seeing it more and more out there that the songwriters or producers assume that what they're getting is the right amount. And now they're like, oh, no, mm -hmm. just kidding. It's not. They just listed almost half a billion dollars in like, revenue streaming revenue all sorts of other things that's out there they're like oh we're gonna make sure we find it it's like those people didn't get paid in the first place because somebody like this yeah shep yourself junior vasquez like it's not a nine to five you know if it takes you no. three days to work on something it's a five to nine <laughs> when you work on these though do they have, do they ever have, because they get the the stems, vocals, things like that, but do they ever just go, well, we need more of a choir here. We need more of a chorus. Like, do they have studio singers that will add stuff or are they not, not allowed to touch that vocal side? I, that makes sense. I think it, yeah, I think it's going to be probably a case by case basis. Like a lot of, you know, back in the day, and I think actually they would send, uh, Junior would send Darren to the record label to pick up the vocals. Give me more. That was that was one of the first and only times I think Junior has ever shared uh, remix credit with anybody, and it was with Johnny Vicious because Johnny Vicious programmed the remix. I was I was the se I was the second person to ever get uh, to share the the title with Junior. So wait, I mean, how did that feel though? Like, well. If we're if I'm going to be real, real honest about how it went down. Um, so nervous records, uh, I'm not sure what year this is. This has got to be probably either 2010 or 2011 um, was going to put out a uh, juniors nervous breakdown CD volume two. They had done a juniors nervous breakdown prior and they were going to do a new version um, juniors nervous breakdown part two. So Junior had done a one-off party here in New York and the party was called Ecstatic. And I thought I was like, oh, you know what? I have this idea of this track. And I remember, <laughs> and this is so random, Jafar from Aladdin, there's a part in the movie where Aladdin says something to him or somebody says something to him and he just goes, Ecstatic. 
And I was just like, oh, you know what? I could probably recreate that. And so I just did exactly what I just did right there. And I sampled it into a track. And so since the party was called Ecstatic, I was like, I'm just gonna sit down and make this track. And so I put it together using synths from another remix that me and the two boys, Billy and Joel from Audio Assembly were working on at the time for another artist. Um, and I was like, I'm just gonna throw this together and it'll be something for him to play because I know that he loves all that type of stuff. And I sent it to him as the one-off. When Nervous was gonna do this compilation, Junior put the song in the mix and he sort of opened, opened the CD with it. And when the information went to Nervous when they put it out, even though I'm thanked in the liner notes for all of the work or whatever, the track is labeled as Ecstatic Junior Vasquez. And so my name and the other two guys we worked with, our names were completely removed. And I don't know if it was on purpose or whatever, but it happened and I was not happy. <laughs> and I was like, that sucks because it's like, this is a, you know, this is a big deal. Nervous Records is a, is a huge house label. And it's like, this is, you know, this is like a chance. So I was sort of miffed at the opportunity uh, being missed. And I said, uh, another guy, Nick Harvey, who was sort of in the junior verse at the time, had his own label, Nick Harvey Music. And he, I said to him, I said, what do you think about putting this track out? And what do you think about doing your own remix of it as well? And he's like, no, I think it's a great idea. So I went to Junior and I said, look, we'll make this all better. We'll put this out and it will be Junior Vasquez featuring John Michael. And that's how we make this all be okay again. And he agreed to it. We put it out and it's on Spotify. You can find it. And it's my friend, my, one of my best friends, Alex did the artwork. Like I said, it's a very small knit community of like, you do this, let's pull you in. You do that, let's pull you in. And so we put that out. And so that was the second time I think that Junior had ever shared credit with anybody. Yeah. But did I mean, because from like the mid 2000s, or I feel like in the past 10 years, I haven't really heard Junior Vasquez remixes or Shep remixes. Is it is it because we don't really have a space anymore for remixes like that? Or is a lot of the, the internet where people are making their own remixes? Like, what do you think that costs? There's a lot of moving pieces to this. You know, I think that, a lot, you know, if I'm being really honest, I think the internet happened and left a lot of people behind. I don't think that people knew how to adapt that well. It all happened so fast. The the crossover where it was like, oh, this is a junior record, but it, you know, it's a Madonna song, but this is the junior. Like you look at Madonna at the Brit Awards performing Junior's mix of Bedtime Story. You know, like that's a big deal. Like that just didn't happen before. And then radio also changed here in New York. A lot of things are very local. So like, even if you look at like the, the, the divas like Amber and Raina and Veronica and all those club divas from the nineties, they were getting heavy rotation on KTU here in New York. And they were pushing all of this stuff and pushing Lisa Stansfield and pushing Hex Hector and pushing all of these other people. And KTU changed. And then the format on the radio station changed and they dropped all of that. And it was, so that was another piece. So you didn't have that huge push on radio anymore, which was a big deal. 
because a lot of times, you know, the DJs would break the songs at the club, but then the labels were putting out the mixes like the Deborah Cox and stuff like that. And then they were playing it on the radio. So you had everything was working in synergy. And then right around the time as the birth of the internet happened, everything started to change. So, and then all of a sudden, also in New York, you had uh, Mayor Giuliani who destroyed nightlife really, and like gutted it. And there was like a huge attack on nightlife and raids were happening all the time. And I've been at many clubs where the club would get raided, lights are going on, cops are coming in, people are running out. And so that's when you had the curfew thing started to happen where it was like clubs could only be open till 4 a.m. Now you're not even doing, you know, Junior used to do 14, 16 hour sets every weekend. And you would be there for this whole incredible journey. And you had these long, long remixes that would just take up all this space. You know, I, 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 I've had this discussion many times with people where they're just like, oh, nobody has the attention span anymore. These kids don't know. And the remixes are so short. And I'm like, it's not their fault. They don't know any better. And this is so many moving pieces that go into this. Spotify, streaming media, that's a big reason why this, why these things are the way that they are. So it's like, I think that the people like to blame millennials and say, or Gen Z and say, you know, well, they're the problem. They're, they're not, they're actually not. They wouldn't know any better. And like I said, as far as the internet, who's doing the gatekeeping? Like when I, I don't really bring up Junior's name very often because it's like, I don't think that there's a lot of people who even know, like people our age know, but if, you know, if you were asked, like I have a 17 year old nephew, if I were to ask him, he would have no idea who any of these people are, but why would yeah. he? Even Madonna, you know, Madonna's not marketed to 17 year olds, even Britney. Yep. Britney's not marketed to 16 year olds anymore. Like Britney's of mm -hmm. our age now. It's like our demographic and a little, a little bit mm -hmm. younger. So, you know, it's, I remember being in a record store in Jersey a few years ago and I was just absentmindedly looking and there were these two young girls that were looking next to me and they picked up Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill on vinyl. And the girl's like, oh my God, this is, I actually know this album. My mother used to play this all the time. I was like, well, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> but, you know, and it's, it's, it's a realization, but it's, you know, that's, that's just the way music is. It's very, very fluid. So it's without the gatekeeping and without any of anybody around to sort of do this and like say, well, this was this. And that, that's what I like about all of these artists now, like Mariah Carey and Madonna, who are putting up all of the remixes for the first time on Spotify. Because now it's like, at least that is something permanent. Because look, if it's not on the internet, ain't nobody hearing it. All these things that just existed on vinyl or CD, no one's hearing that well, anymore. And over the past year with people really hitting home with the nostalgia. I think that that's something because yes. the other thing too is people could have, I mean, clearly I have CDs and vinyl all over the place, um, mm -hmm. but there's only so much you can do with a vinyl copy of it that you can't put on here and try to listen to on your phone or something like that, that the, yeah. you know, digitizing does in fact help it. And at the end of the day, like, I don't mind paying another $8 for, for the digital copy if I can get that. So let me ask you this. How do you take everything that you had up until that point and how do you now infuse it with in the past 10 years because i can still your your remixes can go playlist wise on with you know sheps you know on with knuckles mm -hmm. like 
how do you how well, do you I mean, do that? It's I mean, look, I'm 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 standing here as a person who is just a multitude of influences, you know, and it's like any person that I've worked with or any person that I've been able to have that sort of FaceTime with. I want to know, I want to learn, I want to, you know, I want to absorb this. I want to see, you know, you've been doing this this way. How do I do it this way? And it's, you know, you take a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. And it's, I think that if you look like, even once you get to the 2011 era, and we talked about this before, the Femme Fatale album was a very big deal for me because it's like, when I realized, you know, I'm, I'm a student of liner notes. You know, and I would sit there and read all the liner notes and be like, okay, so what I've noticed the thread is anything that has Max Martin on it, yep, anything that has Max Martin on it, that's something that I love. And what, so what does that sound like? And how do I find out more music that sounds like that? Oh, Christian London, he's another one. How do I find out anything that he's done? Because I like that. And a lot of other people whose name from Sweden, I can't pronounce. But but that was the thread. And so like that, because that's how I started with house music, where it was like, I need to have everything that has Hex Hector on it. I need to have everything that has Thunderpuss on it. And that, that introduced me to so much music that I never would have known before. And then finding that and then being like, oh, this is a pop song. And then hearing the original and being like, I love this too, you know, and it Stacy or Rico remixes. And I'm like, I love this, you know, this is fantastic. And it's like, I, a lot of songs that I probably would have never known before, but you know, the thing about music in general, and especially pop music, is that sounds change. The time changes. You're hot for this moment, and then you move on. And it Max Martin has been one of those few that has been able to adapt an adaptation in music, an adaptation in either dance music or pop music. My whole my my whole idea was like, how do I make like a Max Martin? Because in I Want to Go, there was none of that. Even in the video, there was no dance break, and there was no part in the song that would have been the dance break section either. So I was like, I feel like we always miss that. So how am I gonna try to step in and be Max Martin here? these stems and at this time was how am I how do you do vocal manipulations and how and I would sit there and obsessively listen to the things that Max was doing and if you put headphones on and you listen to that section I would playing around with the panning where it was like bat, 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 like that back and forth and just taking a, a thing and making it reversed and just you know trying to figure out as much and this is me like in a program with the waveform slicing 
a tiny, like a one second thing out and then putting it down and then placing it here, adding delay, adding this. And it's by the time that I'm done, I have like an additional 33 stems of my own of just pulling these apart from the original stems. And that's what was going on throughout all of this. So I, I wanted to try to like absorb and learn as much as I could. And I'm like, how do I, I learned how to do junior stuff. I learned what Shep was doing. It was just another step on the train where it was like, you know, or a stop on the train where it's like, okay, now I have access to this inside of Max Martin's head and how he works. So now how do I start to do that? Okay, so this is it. He plays with this, he does this. And that was what I learned from the Femme Fatale era, which is probably another reason why I love it so much and why it was such a big deal for me. We have more with DJ John Michael next week when we go through step-by-step, track-by-track, and all of his productions from Britney Spears' seventh studio album, Femme Fatale. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. And if you're so kind as to be fortunate to be able to uh, send some extra bucks towards the platform, towards the podcast, towards the charity, go ahead, visit patreon.com slash theoriginaldoll. This is James Rodriguez Horton. See you on the flip side. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stand and follow me? Don't you want